भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्टुवागम सस्तनो व्यशेम देवित यदा स्वस्तिन इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्तिनूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्तिनस्ताक्षोरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शातिशाशाति so we are studying the mandukya karika and not only have we completed the first uh, chapter but we have also completed the second of four chapters so we have come we are at the very end of the second chapter and i think we all deserve mutual congratulations it's a <laughs> it's a hard text a difficult text and uh, not so much uh, that not in intricacy there are other texts with texts which are much more intricate but uh, the things which it talks about are at the same time elevating sublime and profoundly disturbing uh, so especially the second chapter which talks about the falsity of the world the appearance nature of the world which is necessary in order to prove the non duality of brahman not two means that the world which appears which is which seems to be clearly pluralistic clearly dual dualistic must be in some sense an appearance so that is what the second chapter of the mandukya karika deals with using logic reasoning based on experience to demonstrate how we can think of this world as an appearance um the last four verses 35 onwards uh, are very beautiful they talk about the spiritual implication of the whole chapter the reasoning has been done dealt with the philosophy has been dealt with and now what is its implication for our lives so that's what is being talked about at the conclusion with that he will finish um we saw in the 35th verse onwards very quickly taking a quick look backwards at what we have just studied the 35th verse said वीतराग भय क्रोधर्मुनिर्वेद पारगै निर्विकल्पो ह्य दृष्ट प्रपंचोपमोदय इट्स एड टू रियलाइज दिस नॉन डुअल सेल्फ द आत्मन विच इज नॉन डुअल वॉट वॉट इज द स्पिरिचुअल इम्प्लीकेशन वॉट मस्ट वी डू इन आवर लाइफ और वॉट मस्ट हैपन इन आवर लाइफ फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल द फोर फोल्ड क्वालिफिकेशन आई एम गोइंग फैस्ट नाउ वी हेव डन दिस नंबर ऑफ टाइम्स the four fold qualifications for uh, for a vedantic seeker uh, that is viveka vairagya the six fold uh, treasure and mumukshutvam the that is first one is the dis- the difference between the eternal and the non eternal second one vairagya is a dispassion for the non eternal for a third one is a set of six disciplines i'm not g- giving you the details and the fourth one is an intense desire to be free an intense desire for freedom spiritual freedom having these then the seeker becomes immersed in vedantic study veda paragai 
it doesn't have to be a scholar, but take the essence of the teachings. What we are trying to do in these classes? We are trying to immerse ourselves in these ideas so that a clarity comes about what the Vedanta wants to teach us. So this is the first thing he says. Then the next one is, and also Muni, the word Muni here means Mananashila, one who thinks, one who analyzes and uh, thinks about this. So not only Shravana but Manana. Shravana means hearing, um, attending the classes, listening to the talks, studying the texts, so that we can say this is what the text teaches us. The second thing is Muni Manana. That means this is uh, after listening to the texts, we also need to contemplate about it, think about it, uh, get some clarity about the teachings. Um, at the end of the first stage, we have, what did the text say? That's what we should be clear about. At the end of the second stage, manana is, now I not only know what the text says, I understand it too. There's a difference between knowing what the text says and understanding it. You can say the first stage is essential. Knowing what the text says is essential. You can attend all the classes and if you are asked what, what was taught and if you cannot summarize it uh, to some degree of uh, reliability, then you have not even heard what has been taught. So, mastering the text is first. Second is understanding it, gaining clarity. Then we go into the, please come and sit. Then the second thing is, in, in, okay, the next he says, 36th verse. Tasma devam viditvainam advaite yojayet smritim advaitam samanuprapya jaravad lokam acharet. In the 36th verse, two things have been mentioned. Once you have got, you got the knowledge and got clarity about it, understanding. Next, you immerse yourself in your understanding so that it becomes a living reality for you. There should be no more complaint about Swami I understand it intellectually but practically that gap has to be bridged. That is the practice. What is the practice? Advaite yojayet spritim. Dwell on that Advaitic truth which you have understood. Make it a living reality. Manifest it in life. The second thing is mentioned in this verse is how do you manifest it in life? How, so what are you going to do? Start a Vedanta school, start giving classes or um, dress up as a yogi and live on a mountain cave or something like that. He says, Jaravat Loka Macharit, live exactly, let things go on the way they are going on. Live exactly like other people in the world live. Internally, you are completely different now. You are above the sufferings of the world. Uh, you can, now you can live happily. You can go, continue to do whatever you were doing earlier. You don't have to make a major change in the life outside. You don't have to. Now, one more practice he is giving. The 37th verse, he is saying, or you can think about becoming a monk. That is also possible. Um, but here the point is, he just said that you don't have to make a change in the world outside. Now you are saying become a monk, clearly a very different kind of lifestyle. Yes. But what he centrally means is a, a monk inside. That one has to become. A spiritual seeker has to be monk-like inside, uh, internally. 
externally there are examples like what it could be a king it could be a businessman could be a teacher could be a housewife could be a monk also externally so the 37th verse is he is giving you the option become a monk of course here he means it literally actually externally become a monk why to realize this truth ultimately it's it's a lifestyle uh, extraordinarily well designed to realize this truth and manifest it in your life it becomes much easier um, the verse is nistutir nirnamaskaro niswadhakara evacha chala chala niketascha yatir yadrichiko bhavet yati bhavet become a monk what is a monk like nistuti nirnamaskara niswadhakara you are set free from the transactions and the duties and the obligations of householder life so enormous amount of time and energy is, is freed for you and then you have chala chala niketa very beautifully put a monk has two houses this this monk has two houses one is the atman houses means where the person dwells atman means i am the atman i am brahman this is the house your so one immobile house and one mobile house like an rv you have in america people go around in a house what's your mobile house what's your mobile house the body yes the body mind complex so when the monk when the monk goes out to bhiksha ask for food or takes a bath in the ganga or something like that lives in a hut what is where is this person dwelling in the body mind system dwelling means identified with but internally clearly the person knows i am not the body mind system the primary identification is with atman secondarily as long as the body lasts and the person is feeding the body taking care of it you can call it a secondary home a mobi- mobile home just describing a monk yadrichiko bhavet whatever comes whatever is needed um, out of whatever he comes he takes whatever is needed food clothing shelter and lives like that so the life of a traditional wandering monk a non-dualistic monk that is an option and think about it yes but internally yes certainly internally one must one thing you notice many of the questions that come regarding practical application of this in our daily lives they come because we are not monks for a tra- imagine a traditional monk you can just mentally simulate if you're living in the himalayas in a uh, not even in a monastery in a hut or a cave your only contact with the world is maybe you attend a vedanta class or two or give a class or two and you uh, go and beg for your food and spend this time in meditation and study and contemplation most of the questions you are asking about the practicality of this teaching those the questions become immaterial there there's no question about those things there anymore so this lifestyle is designed for that hold the questions we will uh, don't forget the questions but hold on to them today i want to complete this teaching so the last verse is the climax of this second chapter there are actually two verses which are the best ones in this chapter one is Uh, verse number 32 if you remember na nirodho na chutpatti na baddho na cha sadaka na mumukshur na vai mukta ittesha paramarthata the ultimate truth i have given a talk about this the ultimate truth if you look it up on youtube 
the ultimate truth. What is the ultimate truth? There is no origination of this universe. There is no cessation of this universe. There is nobody who is in bondage. There is nobody who is a spiritual seeker. There is nobody who is, freed, who is seeking freedom from bondage. Nor anybody indeed who is free from bondage. What do you mean? This is the, this is the ultimate truth. Ittesha paramarthata. All of it, of course, from the point of view of the non-dual reality, from, from the Turiya point of view. And a perfect counterpart to this extraordinary verse is the one which we are going to conclude this chapter with. If that is the truth, how does one live? How does one live? So the, what is the implication of that for our life, our spiritual life? What is the ultimate goal one is aspiring for? Goal means... What should be the outcome of all of this? That is the 37th, 38th verse. This is, with, this is where the chapter ends. Really a wonderful verse. It's good that we have a whole class for it. I'll take some of the time for that, for this verse. Verse number 38. Tattvam adhyatmikam drishtva Tattvam adhyatmikam drishtva, tattvam drishtva tu bahyata, tattvam drishtva tu bahyata, tattvi bhuta stadaramaha, tattvi bhuta stadaramaha, tattvada prachyuto bhavet, tattvada prachyuto bhavet. Very beautiful verse. Seeing the reality within, seeing the reality outside, being that reality, resting in that reality, never be separated from that reality, never slip away from that reality. So, tattvam adhyatmikam drishtva, seeing the reality within, tattvam drishtva to bahyata, seeing the reality outside in the entire universe, tattvi bhuta, being that reality. Being the truth. Tadarama, resting, finding peace, joy, satisfaction in that reality. Tattvad aprachyato bhavet, never, never slipping away from that reality, never, never being separated from that reality. This is the ultimate goal. This is what an enlightened person, fully enlightened person's life look like, looks like. This is what we are. Not, not only hoping for, he is telling us that's what we already are actually, you just don't know it. Uh, so, let's see, what does it mean? Tattvam, first let's see, the word which has been repeated a number of times in this, Tattvam. Means the reality or the, uh, the principle, an impersonal principle, the reality. What reality? The reality that has been taught to us so far. What is that reality? That Brahman alone is real and the world is an appearance. The non-dual Brahman alone is real, the world is an appearance. This is the reality. And knowing that reality within, knowing that reality outside. Brahman is real, the world is an appearance. That is equal to Atma is real, Anatma is an appearance. Atma Satyam, Anatma Mithya. The Atma means real self. What, you, what we truly are, that is the fundamental reality. 
and what appears to be other than us, in itself it's an appearance. It's, the word appearance means mithya. It is nothing other than we ourselves. You remember the story of the princess of Kashi? So we ourselves are appearing in that way. But when we, con we, do, when we don't know that and consider that, that pluralistic reality outside to be an independent, separate reality, that's false. When you realize it is Brahman alone in all these forms, then it's all right. So, self, self capital S, Atma Satyam Anatma Mithya. This is the Tattvam. Tattvam means this is the truth. Atma alone is real, Anatma Mithya. Again, in the language of Mandukya, what we have read so far, what is this Atma? What is this self? Remember the four? I hope you remember. And the, 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 the teaching which we had so far, chapter 1, you might have forgotten by now. The Soya Matma Chatushpad, the self has four aspects. Three of them are appearance and one is the reality. What are the three? Waker and Waker's world. What is Waker and Waker's world? This one, right now, hopefully. Here is Waker and Waker's world. For some it might be Dreamer and Dreamer's world. <laughs> Or some blessed soul, deep sleeper and deep sleep world. <laughs> Advaita is full of such blessings. <laughs> when you listen to Advaita talks. So, that is the first aspect. Waker, you the waker and waker's world. Uh -huh. um, in Sanskrit, Vishwa Jagrat Prapancha. The dreamer and the dream world. In Sanskrit, Taijasa and Swapna Prapancha and your deep sleep state, the deep sleeper, you the deep sleeper and the, the merged potential darkness, blankness of deep sleep. In Sanskrit, Pragya and Sushupti Prapancha. Sushupti, deep sleep, there's no Prapancha, no expressed universe, but it's in Bijakara, in a seed form. It'll all come back again, but it's still there in a potential form. It's like the hard disk of a computer which is switched off. Everything is there, but you can't access it right now. These three are aspects of yourself. Notice that the Upanishad does not say waker, dreamer, deep sleeper, but waker and waker's world. All of this is you. Dreamer and dreamer's world, deep sleeper and deep sleeper's world. These are the appearances of which the fourth is the essential underlying reality. The fourth is called Turiya. Now when the tattvam we are now saying the truth is atma is real the self is real and the universe is an appearance in terms of the mandukya language what is it saying turiya is real the, the three are appearances the fourth one alone is real the first three are appearances fourth one real first three false fourth one means you the pure consciousness first three Waker and waker's world, dreamer and dreamer's world, deep sleeper and deep sleep, a potential world there. And those three pairs, the seer and the seen, in all of them, they are appearances and the Turiya, the fourth one alone is the reality. This is meant by Tattvam. And this is what we have to realize inside and outside. This is what we are called upon to realize ourselves as I am this. And... There alone we find completeness, peace, fulfillment, 
not seeking anything outside, for, there's nothing more to seek beyond that. And they go beyond the possibility of ever being separated from that. You're eternally that one only. This is the meaning of the verse. Now if you go a little deeper, this tattvam they're talking about, I have always mentioned that Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta you have to understand in two stages. First is you have to do not this, not this. You have to do that internally and externally also. Internally, well internally means within yourself. Within ourselves, this body-mind complex when we analyze, I am not the body, not the prana, not the mind, not the intellect, not the causal body, Anandamaya also, not the Panchakoshas, the five koshas, five sheets, not the three bodies, physical body, subtle body, causal body. In Sanskrit, pancha kosha vilakshanatma, the dehatraya vilakshanatma, vilakshana means separate. So, as if we are separating two things, that is stage one of Advaita, but it is not Advaita because you are clearly talking about two things here. There is a kind of duality implicit in your mind. And so, when you say Brahman is real, world is false, it is still a kind of duality is implicit in the mind. That's why Sri Ramakrishna, when he is asked, uh, is the world false? He says, no, 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 why should the world be false? O bichader katha. That's a stage or a, or a part of the discussion in Advaita analysis. So is the world true? Because we swing it in dualities. If the world is not false, then it must be true. No, no, not even that. What Sri Ramakrishna wants to say and what Advaita also wants to say. What we consider to the world to be, what we, we see as the world, is nothing other than Brahman. So this Tattvam, we must now take one step further and realize, when we said, Atma real, Anatma false, what is this Anatma? Self is real and the not-self is false. You are the reality, the world is an appearance. But what is this world? What is this not-self? What's its relationship to you? What's the relationship of the false to the reality? What's the relationship of the snake to the rope? What's the relationship of the dream to the dreamer? They're inseparable. The rope is nothing, really speaking, the rope is, the snake is nothing but the rope. Everything in your dream is nothing but you yourself. You are projected as everything in the dream. Similarly, everything in this universe, which in the first step we have dismissed as, in the first step, we have dismissed as not this, not this, false, false, false. We have dismissed. Now you reclaim it as all of this is Atman. All of this is Brahman also. Just as everything in my dream is I myself. Really speaking, every ornament made of gold is nothing but gold. First you said ornament false, gold real. But when you take the ornament itself, you are actually taking gold plus ornament name and form. Yeah. You now know it to be gold itself. One Swami put it very nicely. Um, in Hindi, he said, I'll tell you first in English, what is Brahman? So he says, um, here and there, all are Brahman. Now and then, all are Brahman. This and that, all are Brahman. In Hindi, it sounds even nicer. Yaha, waha, sab brahma hai. Yaha and waha. This is space. Ab or tab, 
सब ब्रह्म है नाउ एंड देन दैट्स ऑल्सो ब्रह्म टाइम और यह और वह दिस एंड दैट ऑब्जेक्ट्स ऑल सॉर्ट्स ऑफ ऑब्जेक्ट्स एवरीथिंग इन दिस यूनिवर्स सब ब्रह्म है सो ऑल ऑफ दिस इन टाइम इन स्पेस एंड ऑब्जेक्ट स्पेस टाइम ऑब्जेक्ट वॉट एवर इज एक्सपीरियंसड एज स्पेशियल टेम्पोरल एंड ऑब्जेक्टिव रियालिटी आउटसाइड इज नथिंग अदर देन द ब्राह्मण विच यू आर all those ornaments which are uh, experienced as this space here you can come and sit here all those ornaments which are experienced as bangle or gold or you know different names different shapes and different places in the body to put them they are all recognized as gold and afterwards you need not say ornaments are false the ornaments are all gold nothing but gold they are all gold and then you can happily use the ornaments right so this is in fact the basis for sri ramakrishna's vigyana vedanta with the ayan maharaj which we was just referring to that further extension which sri ramakrishna gives to advaita it's very interesting an extraordinary book by the way before i forget let me mention it that um, the book is available in an indian edition which is much cheaper the oxford university press american edition is 70 dollars expensive but i'm told it is actually less expensive than many other <laughs> uh, university publications but the indian edition is out and it is uh, 11 or 12 dollars at the most 12 dollars so those of you who want that book you know which i'm talking about the one ayan maharaj spoke about infinite paths to infinite reality <coughs> so you want an indian uh, copy of the indian edition uh, at the back giant will be taking names so those who want just put your name down for one copy um and we'll see a devotee is going to india has offered to bring some copies back so we'll see how many we can provide um so this is what he's talking about um sri ramakrishna he calls it vigyana vedanta but the foundation is in advaita vedanta that when you say everything that you experience is nothing other than that brahman another way of putting it is this our entire experience is of this triangle i this that actually i'm translating from hindi <laughs> they teach in this way main yah aur wah aur in sanskrit aham idam tat i means the sentient being the jiva us each of us this means the world idam world which is experience the world of experience that means god ishwara so this triangle why call it that because that's paroksha beyond our experience it's a matter of belief or um, you know we read about it hear about it so in sanskrit aham aham means i the self this idam idam means this universe what i hear smell taste touch what i know about read about investigate do science religion all of that is done in this and that i think of a reality beyond this universe be- behind this universe uh, the power of this universe so in theistic religions uh, that that is another reality that is god these three now what is tattvam reality 
This is what Gaudapada is saying. None of them. There is a reality, the Tattvam, which appears as these three. That Turiyam, that fourth one, it appears as these three. That fourth one you are. Notice the difference. If you ask a dualistic religion, a theistic religion, what is the ultimate truth, Tattvam? Tattva means ultimate truth, the, the ultimate truth, the, the reality taught by your philosophy. What is the ultimate truth? The, here is the difference between a dualistic religion and non-dualism becomes very clear. The dualistic religion will say this is the ultimate truth. God is the ultimate truth. So, for example, Dvaita, Madhva, in dualistic Vedanta, he will say that there are these three. He actually talks about five differences, but anyway. So there are these three, God, universe and you, sentient beings, and they are all different and God is the overlord of all of this, uh, is the Swatantra and we, these are all Paratantra, like a king and the ruler, uh, uh, king, the ruler and the ruled, king and the subjects, like that. That is a strictly dualistic religion. It's very close to, it's very similar to um, the uh, Islamic or Christian model. Um, there is a loving father. Often the word father, king, these are used. So clearly the king or the father is different, different from you, but in charge of everything. Over the, so that is the highest truth of this religion. A little further along, a different way of putting it is Ramanuja's Vishishtadvaita, where this is the highest truth, but these two are parts of this. So God or Saguna Brahman, Brahman with qualifications, is the Tattvam in Vishishtadvaita. But Jiva and Jagat, are, they are, the Tattvam is qualified by Jiva and Jagat. That's how the name Vishishtadvaita comes. Jiva, Jagat, Vishishta Brahma. What does it mean? Brahman qualified by Jiva and Jagat, by the sentient beings and the insentient world. That system is called qualified monism or Vishishtadvaita. All of them you can see they are rotating here. And this is the highest truth. Whereas non-dualism, Advaita Vedanta says, none of this is the highest truth. There is something else beyond all three which appears as these three. This is called the transactional reality, empirical reality, relative reality, Vyavaharika Satyam. This one, this triangle. And the Paramartika Satyam, ultimate reality, is this one. What is that one? The fourth. Now put it in, I can give you as, as an academic exercise. Put it in the language of Mandukya, Mandukya Karika or Mandukya Upanishad. So Jiva, you, what are your four aspects? Three appearance, three will be here and one will be here. Three reality, three appearances, three, the three aspects are waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. Uh, do you remember the Sanskrit names? Vishwa. Taijasa, Pragya. You see, there is somebody here who has been watching this on YouTube. I think sometimes YouTube might be a more effective teacher. <laughs> Vishwa, Taijasa, Pragya are here. You. And your reality is Turiya. You are really this. In ignorance, we identify ourselves with Vishwa, Taijasa, Pragya. Reality is shifting the identification of the I from here to here. I am Turiya. What is this according to the language of Mandukya Karik, Mandukya Upanishad? 
दिस इज जागृत प्रपंच स्वप्न प्रपंच सुषुप्ति प्रपंच और मोर टेक्निकल लैंग्वेज स्थूल सूक्ष्म कारण द्रोस यूनिवर्स सटल यूनिवर्स कॉजल यूनिवर्स हियर वॉट इज दिस दिस इज वॉट इज द नेचर ऑफ गॉड इन लैंग्वेज ऑफ मांडुक्यकारी का विराट हिरण्यगर्भ ईश्वर यस गुड एंड वॉट इज दिस तुरिया मांडुक्य उपनिषद इट सेल्फ डज नॉट यूज द वर्ड तुरिया इट यूजेज द वर्ड चतुर्थम फोर्थ फोर्थ वन टू थ्री आर हियर फोर्थ वन टू थ्री डज नॉट मीन वन टू थ्री नॉट लाइक दिस वन टू थ्री हियर वन टू थ्री हियर वन टू थ्री हियर बट दिस इज द फोर्थ तुरियम दिस इज वॉट यू आर तत्वम इज दिस रियालिटी दिस वन अलोन इज एक्सपीरियंसड एज दिस द स्क्रीन इज एक्सपीरियंसड एज द मूवी द गोल्ड इज एक्सपीरियंसड एज द ऑर्नमेंट दीज आर नॉट टू सेपरेट थिंग्स वेन यू आर एक्सपीरियंसिंग दिस Advaita says you are experiencing nothing but this one only. Okay, so this is so far. I have just mentioned. I have explained only one word, the most important word. That is tattvam. Tattvam. What is meant by tattvam? And uh, one more point, and I am done. See, basically, how do you locate this tattvam within yourself? We have talked about it earlier, but once more, it is the witness. The easiest way to locate it is the witness. witness of what remember here and there witness of all space now and then witness of all time you we are talking about you witness of all the time all space in your life and all objects everything that you witness living beings non living beings sakshi in sanskrit sakshi of desha kala vastu now go that's the external universe go a little deeper sakshi of antakarana of the mind all time space and objects are finally presented to you in your mind that's where you experience it and this this one the tattvam is a witness of that mind experiencing time space and universe uh, objects and it is a witness of the silence of that mind when that mind is in deep peace in samadhi it's a witness of that silence of the mind let me i'm translating from the hindi so let me just tell you exactly how it is put wo sakshi hai har desh ka sakshi har kaal ka sakshi har vastu ka sakshi antakaran ka sakshi antakaran ke shanti ka sakshi it's a very beautiful term when the mind is completely at peace merged in samadhi in deep meditation completely still mind you are the witness of that still mind in itself what are you what is that thing the two words are sarvadhara sarva prakashaka the illuminer of everything in your life and not only illuminer but also adhara the the substratum the basis the reality if you just say illuminer it could be like i am a witness quite separate from you i am witnessing all this but you are separate i am separate that's how we are experiencing it not like that this tattvam is not a separate witness standing apart you know peering at you like that from distance no it is also adhara adhara means the basis it is it is what gives reality to you 
It is what gives reality to this universe, or rather you are what, what gives reality to the universe. So it's not a separate universe which you are witnessing. It's not even a separate mind which you are witnessing. You yourself are appearing as the universe and the mind which experiences that universe. You, you are the Aadhar, the basis of that, the reality of that. Aadhar means how? Just like gold is the Aadhar, the reality of the ornament. By Aadhar, I don't mean like this pen and my hand. Here is a pen and the, my hand is the Aadhar. I put the pen on the hand. Not like that. Because in Sanskrit, Aadhar also means this. The, the foundation of, on some, like a foundation on which the building is standing. Not like that. Here, Aadhar's foundation means, the substratum means, the very reality of that thing. The wood. The wood is an Aadhar of the altar. The altar is nothing but that wood. Just as I would say, water is the Aadhar of the wave. Every bit of the wave is water. Similarly, this entire universe, all space, all time, all objects here, living and non-living, and the mind which experiences all of them, and the mind which is not experiencing any of it and is in absolute stillness, all of that is witnessed by you, the one consciousness. It exists in you by the one consciousness and it gets its reality from you, the one consciousness. It is nothing apart from you, the one consciousness. That one consciousness, Sakshi, is Tattvam. Okay. Now, next, what do you do with this? Tattvam adhyatmakam, adhyatmikam drishtva tattvam drishtva tu bahyataha. Realize this truth. See this truth inside you. See it outside you. Now remember, this distinction of inside and outside is a purely fictional one from an Advaitic point of view. Why is it made? Because that's how we experience the universe. We are, we are students. We are trying to realize this. Clearly we realize, the uni we experience the universe as I and this. Subject and object. Here is a body-mind complex which I think I am this one. Here is a universe which I think I am not this one. Alright, consider this to be internal, in Sanskrit, adhyatmikam, within yourself. And consider that to be external, bahyata, external. See this one truth within yourself and externally. How do you do it? He's not mentioned it right here, but um, just a hint. In Drigdrishya Viveka, uh, there it is said, um, that how Maya functions, he says it veils the reality. Avarana Shakti. Avarana Shakti. Drigdrishya Viveka says it veils the reality. Where, now, next question is where does it veil the reality? Maya veils the re reality, means Brahman, this tattvam. It is veiled inside ourselves and outside ourselves also. How inside ourselves? Drigdrishya Yor Bhedam. The difference between the witness consciousness and the body-mind complex is obscured by Maya within ourselves. I will repeat it again. Listen carefully. What is Maya doing within ourselves is, inside, when you look inside, it is obscuring a vital difference. The difference between witness and body-mind. Drik drishya. Drik drishya yor bhedam avrinoti. It, it obscures. So what happens is, I, the witness consciousness, completely forget that I am the witness consciousness. 
and I forget that this is a body mind is an object to me. I identify myself with body and mind and I say I this one. So you have to you have to find the difference first neti neti within yourself. That is how you see tattvam adhyatmikam drishtva seeing discover the truth within yourself. Then Drigdusha uh, Viveka says, Maya also hides the difference outside. What is the difference outside? Brahma Sargayor Bahihi. The difference between Brahman and universe. Externally it is Brahman alone. With name and form it is called universe. But the difference between Brahman and name and form is obscured. And we say house, cat. Dog, man, woman, tree, sky, earth, moon, quarks, protons, galaxies. This is what we say. We are continuously taking the name and form to be the reality. The difference is obscured. It's like saying the difference in the example of gold and ornament. Gold and necklace. Suppose I say gold, necklace, bracelet, ring. Very good example actually. When I say that, we all understand immediately what is meant by gold and what is meant by necklace. The same ornament. It's the necklace. But we understand the necklace is a name, it's a form and a particular use. Nama, Rupa, Vyavahara. And when we say think about the gold itself, we understand yes. Why do we understand? Because the difference between ornament and the material is very clear in our minds. We understand that example. That thing does not apply in the universe outside because we have no idea about the underlying reality. We only see this universe. It's like a person who doesn't understand what is gold. The person only sees the necklace. <coughs> There's a nice story about a child whose mother says, uh, the safe is open. Uh, you go into the, into the bedroom, there's a safe. Open the safe and uh, get some gold for me. And the child goes and comes back and says, there's no gold there. The mother says, yes, there is. Go and take a look. He comes back and says, but there isn't. Then the mother goes and picks out a necklace and some bangles. And, but these are, this is a necklace and bangles. Where is the gold? See, the child doesn't understand. The child always thought it's a necklace and a bangle and this is not gold. He probably thinks something else. Maybe it's in a gold bar is a gold. And the bangle and the necklace are not gold. He doesn't understand the difference between the name and form and the substance. Our condition is like that. So, the, to put it briefly, there's a whole process to this. How do you discover the reality within? Look for consciousness inside, apart from body-mind. How do you discover the reality outside? Look for being, existence. Notice the reality tattvam outside as pure being, isness. And notice that tattvam as pure consciousness within. Chit within and sat outside. Remember, they both are same, but this is easier for us. All of this, you feel it as existing. Focus on the existence aspect of it. Within yourself, all experiences are lit up by you, the consciousness. Focus on the consciousness aspect of it. This is how you discover the reality inside and the reality outside. Remember again, fictional difference. Inside and outside only meant for our own realization. All of these words are actually used by the teachers just to give us like a rope ladder. What words? 
Adhyatmikam, Bahyam, internal, external, even things like Atma, Brahma, these are all used, Sakshi, witness, these are all used to help us to catch that reality. Once they are, once you catch it, you can drop it. You can drop the words, it's not important, you know what they are talking about. And also you will not be confused. When you go to different Upanishads, different words are used to indicate that reality. You will never be confused then. Once you have got it, you will see, even if the terminology changes. That's why many people get confused with Nisargadatta. He says, consciousness is not the ultimate. Awareness is the ultimate. Immediately you can understand, okay, what is being translated as consciousness, what is being translated as awareness. Even Swami Vivekananda says at one place, consciousness is not final. There is something beyond consciousness also. So what, is, what does he mean by consciousness there? The mental consciousness of, of thinking, feeling, willing, uh, the, the reflected consciousness here. That's what we experience as consciousness. The pure consciousness itself is not something we normally talk about or deal with. So it's also valid to call our mental awareness. In fact, modern consciousness studies, when they say consciousness, they mean this thing only, this empirical consciousness. Okay. Uh, just a minute, let me see if I can go a little further. Um, what else do I want to say at this point? So we have covered in discovering it internally, discovering it uh, externally. Okay, at this point you can ask one or two questions because next part is uh, more difficult. <laughs> I'll come to you. Yes, let's see other questions. Um, the beauty of Advaita is that it's based on logic and, uh, and experience. experience and mm. But do I hear you saying that at some point to actually experience the consciousness, you have to suspend logic or put another way, is the human mind logic through its logical faculties, limited logical faculties of the human mind capable of just um, explaining perhaps why pure consciousness projects this reality. I'm asking two separate questions, I suppose. But. Why pure consciousness projects this reality? This question we have dealt with earlier. Why is the one appearing as the many? We have dealt with it at least on three or four occasions. Do you remember the question why causality? Without assuming Maya, you cannot ask why. Once you assume Maya, then this whole thing is explained. Why does Maya exist? Do you, this very precise question we have dealt with. Do you remember? Does anybody remember why does Maya exist? Ah. Answers are all there. It's only after two or two or three years that you will say that now you are teaching well. It's only because we are beginning to finally begin to listen. You have heard it, but you have not heard it. One teacher puts it very beautifully. You are here, but you do not hear. <laughs> no, but yes. But these are very profound questions. You have to wrestle with them. I'll give you the answer. But you have to wrestle with it yourself until you finally make a breakthrough. I, it took me many, many years. I had heard the answer, but it did not make sense to me. Let's move slowly. I'll give it to you very precisely, though it's nothing to do with this now. It's already, that part is done. But... I'll still give you the answer in a few sentences. Remember your question. One of the biggest problems in teaching this, this very subtle philosophy is unless you are very disciplined yourself, disciplined in your thinking, question, hold on to the question, listen to the answer, then try to ponder over and see where it's not fitting. Don't slide away into other questions. And This is a normal way of thinking. But it, it has to, you have to be just like a computer here, just like a mathematician here. Question was, remember, 
without any degree of flexibility. Question is why Maya? Precise, wonderful question. Why Maya? Because ultimately, when you say why is why has the one become the many? Advaita will say one has not become the many. The one is only appearing as the many. You say, okay, why is one appearing as the many? Ah, because of Maya. Then you will finally come and say, why Maya? You've come up to this. Why Maya? All right. Here is the answer. What is Maya? It's a word. What does what does it what are its constituents? Time, space, causation. Time, space, causation. When you are asking why Maya, you are asking why causation. When you say why Maya, when you ask why anything, why XYZ, what kind of answer will satisfy you? The answer has to start with a because. Why Maya? Because. Why wet grass? Because it rained. So, when you say because, you have already assumed causation. See, there is, it is the, one of the most fundamental categories of thinking. Kant, he, taught, he, he discovered this. But without this, we cannot think also. But the most fundamental category of thinking also says, it assumes something, that there is something called causation. Otherwise, a why statement does not make any, why question does not make any sense. If there is a cause, then only you can answer this question. That means you have already assumed one thing at least, causation is there. But causation is Maya. You cannot ask why before causation. To make this easier, just ponder this. It's like asking why causation is like asking what is outside space? What is before time? The moment you say outside space, outside insight is a space concept. Before time, before and after are time concepts. If you ask what is before time, do you see the problem with the question? If you ask outside space, do you see the problem with the question? Exactly same is the problem with why causation. If you say why causation, it's equal to asking why Maya. You cannot ask that question. Swami Vivekananda just dismisses the question by saying the question itself is wrong. It took me a long time to think, to understand why is the question wrong. I kept on asking it. It seems obvious to Swamiji. It was not obvious to me. Like a child keeping on asking why, why, why. The only answer ultimately is go to bed. <laughs> why, why? <laughs> but I kept asking why. So I came to... Uh, wait, 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 wait. I'm coming to this. Um, why Maya? I came to this question. And finally, years, it took me years to come to this breakthrough. Which I thought I will happily share with others. But I realized one thing. Unless you come to the same question, struggle with it and make the breakthrough for yourself. Of course, the thing is easier if somebody has told you the answer then you answer will suddenly make sense. Now look, the rest of what you are saying, I can engage you with this for hours together, but saying suspending logic. Is it true? Are we suspending logic? What is logic? What is logic? Can there be logic without causation? Can there be logic without the axioms of logic? Right. So if you are questioning that, you are already assuming logic. If you see the very fact when you ask a question and ask and uh, require an answer, you already assume the axioms of logic. If you are saying that Brahman is beyond that, then uh, you can you cannot uh, um, you cannot even ask that question. So you're saying at some point you're going to stop asking questions? Mm. I'm asking you to. I'm asking, you, I'm asking you to think about the very logic of questions. It's that, uh, that 
flame that it's, it's burning out here. Yeah. So just, just stay with it. It's not that I'm stopping, asking you to stop um, asking questions. It's not possible to ask a question anymore. Unless you have a because answer, how will you answer a question without a because? Cause, you're asking for a cause, there should be a because. But causation itself, when it's not there, then uh, how can you ask this question? All right. Turiya and Atman, the terms. Yes. yes. The question is when do you utilize the terms Turiya and Atman? Yes, so all of these terms are nominal. That means they are used to indicate the same reality. But there are appropriate times. So the time to use the word Atman is when you are re referring to this ultimate reality within yourself. When you ask the question, who am I? The answer is the Atman, the self. Now, in the context of Mandukya Upanishad, in this context where we are studying, the self is understood as having four aspects. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep, waker, dreamer, deep sleeper and the real I. That real, the fourth one, is called the Turiya. The Turiya and the Atman are the same thing. But the Turiya is relevant in the context of Mandukya Upanishad, this text. Because the word Turiya in Sanskrit just means four. Four. So if you just generally use, I am the fourth, you know, people will say, well, fourth what? What are the other three? In respect to which three are you the fourth? It, the whole thing makes sense only in the context of Mandukya. But it literally means the same as Atman. But the word Brahman, when do you use it? When you say the same reality, which is behind this entire universe. What is the reality of this universe? Brahman. What is the reality about myself? Atman. What does Advaita say? Atman is equal to Brahman. Yes. Yes. Noumenon. Yes, but again, you go further. The phenomenon is an appearance of the noumenon, and the phenomenon is nothing apart from the noumenon here. If you want to put it that way, I don't think Kant went all that far, and you can put it in Nagarjuna's words, the great Buddhist. He says there is no difference between samsara and nirvana. He wants to be a little shocking. Yeah. It's like saying there is no difference between heaven, earth and hell. It is one reality. There is no difference between samsara and nirvana. That is noumenon and phenomenon are same. Same what? It is the same, same Brahman, same ultimate reality. Which is appearing in all these ways. Yeah. Yeah, were there other questions? Will you hold your questions? No? Okay, go ahead. Remember this. I, am, I will remember it, what you said. Because the, exactly to you, Shankara is going to speak to you now 1400 years ago. The next thing I will say is answer to this. Almost these, 1400 years ago, he has used these very words. We will we'll, we'll come to you. Anyway, what's your question? How do I hold on to it? Uh, how do I hold on to it? This is the very question. If you are not a monk, if you are a monk, you live yeah. this every day. You live Vedanta class 24 hours. You can do that, you are happy. Yes. But I go to the office, you deal with the politics there, you deal right, with the Right, right, right. Okay, good. 
let's keep this uh, this question and right now i will not take any more questions in fact what i'm going to say now is a uh, answer to this question there are two things remaining here three things actually tattvi bhuta being the truth being this reality i will discuss it later tadarama completely satisfied and in bliss in that reality i'll discuss that later but let me come to the third part tattvad apratyuto bhavet do not lose that reality do not let it not slip away from you that's the question she is asking i remember the question very well that it is gone when by the time you are the next day in the office and how do i not what was your question how do i not let it how do i hold on to it yes all right let me quote let i will step aside let shankaracharya answer to you answer you is incredible see what shankaracharya says i will read the original sanskrit and translate for you ग्रिप I have slipped away from that tattvam the reality. Why? Because the mind and body is uh, mind is restless. Why is the mind restless? Because of office politics and everything else. Mind automatically will become restless. And then what? Since the mind is restless, I have slipped away. Prachutoham. Uh, I have slipped away. It's literally it's been I have lost my grasp on that reality. Atma tattvad from the the tattvam about the self about, about the reality about the self i have slipped away from it then dehari bhutam i have become identified with body mind complex when idanim now now i have become identified with the body and com- mind complex and i have slipped away from all those things i had learned in vedanta class huh? and what else what else does this person think he say he thinks samahite tu manasi when i sit quietly and meditate डिजास्टर this person is exactly the person who has not understood the answer to your question i was there once when ramanand saraswati was teaching in in haridwar a young monk asked this question at least after all these discussions were going on he excitedly asked at least i am brahman that thing must be, must remain in my awareness right in the midst of everything and he is a monk aham brahmasmi itna to rakhna hai na i have to keep this much at least i am brahman and the, the teacher said wahi to nahi rakhna hai that's exactly what you must not hold on to as long as you think i have to hold on to that you're in the realm of ignorance never ever think that why why not what mistake am i making he says next he says 
Atmana ekarupatvat swarupa pratyavana asambhavatya. What a beautiful word. Because the Atman, consciousness, is one and the same in all three states, waking, dreaming, deep sleep, in happiness and sorrow, in restfulness and in meditation and in, in restlessness, in excitement and in peace, in despair and in, in hope. It is the one unchanging consciousness. Because it is the same under all circumstances, the next word is extremely important, it is impossible for you to slip away from it. Pratyavana asambhavat. Slipping away from this tattvam is, this, this truth is impossible, he says. Where is that thing? Yes. He says, Swarupa Pratyavana Asambhavatya. The Swarupa means our real nature, pure consciousness. Pratyavana means slipping away from it. Asambhava, impossible. <coughs> then what happens? I fall into the error thinking that I have slipped away from the truth. Why does this happen? Because I am yet identified with the mind. At this stage, don't try to hold on. Then what is the practical, this is a practical, uh, uh, what is the practical suggestion here? Uh, said, Swami, whatever you might say might be logically correct, but I am experiencing the problem. Give me a solution for the problem. I am giving you the solution. The solution is, the practical solution is, that we have, the problem is we are still identified with the mind. It is the mind which felt centered in the Atman. It's the mind which feels it has dissipated itself in the world outside and got become troubled. The answer is, you are not the mind itself. We feel calm mind, I am centered in the truth. Restless mind, I am disturbed. I am away from the truth. This is the problem. Calm mind, I am Brahman, I am thinking about this. Vedanta class, meditation session, okay. But office, subway, um, paying bills, no, not okay. Why? This is the mind. What we are trying to do is keep the mind ice cold and calm all throughout. Not possible. But you are not even the mind. You are the Atman. I'll give you the, um, you know, the solution is this. The deep solution. I came upon it once. I was in, in our main monastery there, walking past a new big building of the university had been made. There are big glass windows there. And I saw one day this extraordinary sight. A little bird, brightly colored bird, was rushing into the window and hitting it again and again and again. It was seeing its reflection in the window and fighting with it, scratching, uh, screaming, uh, ra running into it. There is nothing there except itself. The glass is absolutely without any other enemy bird there to fight with or to make friends with. All that it sees in that glass is it itself. And then it starts a samsara with it, giving it reality in its own mind. I have to fight with this guy. This guy is teasing me. And the angrier he gets, the angrier the enemy bird also gets. And it fights. It, it was so vivid. I can never forget it. Any time you are disturbed, 
Anytime you are unhappy, disturbed, whenever there is a problem, whenever there is a problem, bring this image to your mind. This is exactly what is going on. In the mirror of the mind, a world arises. What is that world? Nothing but you. And you get engaged in that world. Love, hate, fight, despair, hope, creating a samsara for yourself, which is every moment disappearing again. Why? Because there is nothing there actually. It's all you. So, uh, the teacher gave a very beautiful answer for this. He said, Atma to nitya samadhi mein hai. You are always in samadhi. Even in the moment when you are most disturbed, most angry, most upset, the Atman is pure consciousness all the time, exactly the way it was. He put it so beautifully because our real tendency is we are looking for Samadhi. We are looking for the mind to be completely at peace, emerged in, in serenity and bliss. And he says, you are already there. Always were and you always will be. Here is something deep. I am going to reveal to you the nature of the mind. Something that I have actually not mentioned earlier. The mind is really nothing other than the Atma. Turiya, Satchidananda. See in Vedanta, because of a certain necessity, we keep saying I am not the mind. We try to make ourselves the witness of the mind. This is a very good practice. But also remember, the mind is nothing other than you, the Atma. What is the mind? There is a very beautiful verse. Chittam chiditi vijaniyat takara vishayadhyasa. Very profound saying. What is the mind? Chit, I am using the Sanskrit. Chit means pure consciousness. The tattvam, this reality, this one. Plus vishaya, object. Vishaya is object. Is equal to chitta. Chitta means mind. Chitta is the mind. Mind is nothing but consciousness plus an object. Consciousness plus an object. You are the consciousness. And this is achala. This is unchanging. Ever at peace, ever in, in as he put it in um, poetic terms, nitya samadhi mein hai wo. You are all, always, uh, uh, you are always of one nature, pure consciousness, untroubled. In you, the pure consciousness, in you, not apart from you, in you appears this, like that little humming, that little bird in the, the glass <laughs> window, it appears. In you it appears. And then what happens? In you it appears means it's not even an external object. There's no external reality. The, the Sanskrit word is uh, very uh, interesting. If you see, he says, Chit plus Ta is equal to Chitta. The way it is spelt. Chit in the Sanskrit. In Sanskrit, Chit plus Ta is Chitta. Chitta means mind. Chit means pure consciousness. So what is this ta in between? He says vishaya dhyasa. Let me give you the English meaning. Object superimposition. To understand this, it's deep philosophy involved there, but it's a, the, the theory of uh, error is involved there. But anyway, all you need to understand this is 
like that reflected bird in the mirror uh, in the in the window the object in consciousness is the reflected bird in the window it is nothing but you you the consciousness here bird and window are not separate you are the consciousness you are the bird you are the mirror you are the, you are the window in yourself appears a reflection of yourself and now you get engaged with it fighting against it then it becomes then that that window with the reflected bird it becomes mind now remember one one more thing about it the consciousness itself is continuous and unchanging it is absolutely unchanging and serene and peaceful forever the reflections of objects the the reflected objects which appear in consciousness they are forever changing therefore the mind seems to be restless the mind in its real nature is is, con- is consciousness absolutely at rest ah the vritti is caused by the continuous fluctuations of the vishayas fleeting in the in the in the consciousness that consciousness with the fleeting vishayas projected by maya or whatever you call it that is what we call mind truly appreciated it is forever at rest there's no problem there anywhere even in the midst of the worst of office politics even when you are upset and irritated see upset and irritated the upset and irritation is also a vishaya in the mind the moment you think that consciousness is is there is equally an illumina- illuminating the uh, the irritation and the upset and the problems in the mind and when they all go away the peaceful mind the vedantic mind that's also illuminated by the same consciousness remember i mentioned earlier it is the sakshi witness of the mind i mentioned earlier the sakshi of the peace of the mind also that means the mind completely engaged with the world happy or sad you are the witness of that the mind absolutely disengaged from the world in deep meditation you are the witness of that you are not the mind if you identify yourself with the mind always remember the mind has this component the consciousness consciousness itself we not normally don't present it in this way it can create confusion but this is the truth ultimately if it is only consciousness the mind also must be consciousness why mind body also world also your worst enemy also must be you the consciousness yeah. <laughs> remember that little bird fighting against itself in the in the mirror okay if once you understand this it you need not you don't have to think about it all the time but every time there is a problem this should immediately flash to your mind that i am without choicelessly i am brahman effortlessly i am brahman directly i am that pure being consciousness right now no matter what happens no matter what happens nothing is actually happening for that bird for example you will internally become very peaceful very quiet and deal with with the reflections in your in your consciousness as they appear you have no you have you have no problem your feeling of oneness with everybody and in serenity we will deal with everything so think about that now of course remember here we are talking about the peak of vedanta the final text of vedanta so only the ultimate solutions are being given but if you say how do i maintain that peace throughout the day many many practices are there many practices we'll talk about that later but the essential answer did you see how what she question she asked 1400 years ago shankaracharya saying exactly the same thing 
as the mind becomes restless, this one thinks, I have slipped away from the truth. How can I hold on to the truth? As the mind becomes peaceful and absorbed in meditation, and you say, I am the witness, he says, I have now attained the truth. He says, never be an enlightened person like this. Don't be, don't be like this. Then be like what? I am ever that consciousness, no matter what the mind. I, I'll tell you something which we talk, we know as monks, we hesitate to tell others, but since this is Mandukya class, I will tell you at the cost of creating a lot of damage, but I'll tell you. Sentence in Hindi, I will translate for you and leave it at that and go back to what I've left yet. So, in this respect, great error. I am unhappy because my mind is restless. Great, great error. The sentence in Hindi here is, the teacher said, Tattva Jnani Vikshipt Man or Samahit Man ko ek hi mante Vikshipt Man or Samahit Man mein fark nahi karte. The enlightened person does not differentiate, does not have a preference between a restless mind and a mind at peace. Think about it. How many of these seven billion minds are you going to bring to peace? Suppose you bring a, make your, this particular mind calm and concentrated and peaceful. There are seven billion others. You are the one consciousness behind all of them. Right now. Why so much? This, this tremendous desire to meddle with one mind, this is what binds us. It's a sign that we are very firmly rooted in one mind. Of course, there are many other sadhana, spiritual practices, which later on we can talk about. But this is the central truth, which I would like to convey to you. Think about it. Don't misunderstand it. Don't stop meditating. Don't stop praying. Don't stop doing your good works. Don't stop attending the Vedanta classes for goodness sake. Say. Yeah. Yes. You have a follow-up? The which one? The guy? Camel. Huh? Camel. Oh, the, the ca camel, yeah, 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 right. It doesn't matter outside. She punished him, mm. thinking she was going to punish him, but teach him a lesson, and he was perfectly happy. Uh, right, he is untouch he's untouchable, he's untouched by that. Yes, but this is what has been pointed out. One who is beginning to understand this is bound to have the question which you had. That's why Shankaracharya points it out. This question will come to your mind. Don't be like that. This is coming because we have, we are still mixed up with the mind. That's why it's coming. Yeah, but you gave the key now. Yes. Because now the minute you have awareness, mm. so when I go to the office and I feel I'm losing it, mm. then I will remember the bird flying against the, bird the flying window. Against the window. Right, right. Once you are, you are not training the Atman, you are training the mind itself. Mm. Now, um, one more little practical advice let me give you. Another teacher put it so nicely. The bird against the window is what I saw myself. This another teacher uh, said, See, now you are beginning to understand, I am the unchanging consciousness. But our tendency is to follow the mind. So imagine, a very funny example. Imagine you are learning to drive a car and it's raining. And automatically the windshield wiper starts moving. And you are driving the car and you are a new student. 
I know because I was learning. In, uh, luckily, this problem doesn't come in California. No rain in Southern California. But the rain is coming and the windshield wiper starts operating and you're driving and you, it comes and you look. And the teacher says, hey, keep your eyes on the road. He says, oh, mm, on the road. Again, the wiper comes and you, hey, keep your eyes on the road. It comes, it's, it's very distracting. Your, your tendency is to follow it. No, that is the mind. Don't listen to it. Don't follow it. Let it go. Mm, again, no. Mm. Right. Yes. Where are you fixed? On your nature that I am the witness consciousness. Let it do, this, let it do its job. Let it calculate, think, love, hate, whatever comes up and goes, no problem. So is it, a, is it effort or you do it spontaneously? Like Brahma, Karmati, you are Yes, about. so that we have already finished earlier. Advaite yojayet smithim. Be absorbed in the truth. The Vedantic meditation is done. This verse is actually, they call it phala, the result of all of this. Ultimately, what are we aiming at? You should be like this. So that you are, you know that you cannot slip away from the truth. There's a question in the back, yes. Swami, how does one reconcile this then with, it's not like the worst stage of the bad things that you're kind of putting away and you're like the bird going towards the glass. You need, you need a purpose, you need drive, you need a mission. All those things, based on what you're describing, just don't become relevant anymore. We'll discuss that later. <laughs> First, let's see in this way, yes. Purpose, drive, mission, see, there's, one is at the level before you come to spiritual life. That is the conventional religious life, where they call it dharmartha kama. I want pleasure, I want success in this world, and I also want to be a moral good person. That's the level of conventional religion. All this doesn't apply there. This is for a person who wants to know the truth, the reality. So here the drive is to know the reality and realize it. Here the drive is called mumukshutvam, an intense desire to know what is, what is, the, rea what is the reality behind the movie. Well, who is the magician behind this magic show? As long as I'm happy with the magic show, this question does not arise. When I want to realize the, who is the magi magician behind the magic show, then that is the drive. After this, at this level, you say, what more drive remains? If that Sri Ramakrishna says, Ishwara Richai, by the will of God, that person may have, um, might be there to do a lot of good to the world, might be there just to live that person's, um, you know, what is the drive for pure consciousness? No drive at all. It is. But it makes possible all drives and the lack of drives. Without consciousness, there's no drive at all. All right. So this is something beyond that. First, worldly drive. That has to be educated and cultured and civilized through religion or morality. Then spiritual drive. I must become enlightened. I must realize what Buddha had, what Vivekananda had. So that's what we are talking about here. This culminates in this realization, I am the Tattva. If you say beyond this is any drive, first of all, no drive is necessary beyond this. We, are, we, have, we have to come to that, Tadarama, completely satisfied in that. So the no particular drive is necessary beyond that. But a person may have, like Vivekananda, who had a drive to do immense good to the world. Many great teachers have. Yes. Samiji, I was reading um, a book by Alan Watts. Yes. And Always good. <laughs> According to the Margitya Upanishad, 
Aren't we saying that consciousness is still? True. Uh, consciousness is something that you, to which you cannot apply the conditions of moving or unmoving. It is both the still, like in deep sleep. It's a stillness. Like in waking and dreaming. It's a moving. In itself, it's not moving. So, Mandukya goes deeper. Um, he has a very integral view of the whole thing. Uh, much closer to Vishishta Advaita, Alan Watts, in some cases. Some cases Advaita, but he has, he's syncretic. You know, he mixes um, Buddhism also, a little bit of this and that. So... Uh, but Mandukya is very precise there. It moves. Upanishad says, Tadejati, it moves. But then if you ask Shankaracharya, how does it move? In connection with mind and body. So, if you say right now, I am moving, I am talking, I am thinking. These are all different forms of movement, right? Right? Is it true to say that I am moving, talking, thinking? Yes, in association with body. In association with body, I am walking. In association with tongue, I'm talking. And in association with the mind, I'm thinking. Truly speaking, I, the consciousness, how can consciousness walk, talk, or think? He's not talking about Turiya. He's talking about an ephemeral consciousness. No, he's talking about Turiya in identification with body and mind. Oh. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> so this is from the Advaitic point of view. If you say from Mandukya point of view, how would you answer that statement? You'd say, yes, it is consciousness. Isn't it? After all, ultimately, it's consciousness which does everything. But only in association with body, mind, and body and mind, remember from Advaita point of view, they are unreal, like the bird in the window. Yeah. Yes. So, from the Turiya point of view, there is no Maya, right? No. So, what is Turiya witnessing? What is the witness? Itself. Itself, yes. Um, okay, we just let me finish the verse. Uh, two, two more steps to remaining. Now let me finish this. Otherwise, we won't even. We're not finishing the second chapter at all. We're we're stuck in falsity. Second chapter is about falsity. Two things are remaining. I jumped ahead. Tattvi bhuta tadaramaha. Where did I jump ahead to? Tattva da prachuto bhavet. Never lose the, your hold on the truth or never slip away from the truth. What is the take away from that? You cannot slip away from the truth. So just just get rid of the error. That you are somehow slipping away from the truth. There's a lot to do with work on that. We'll see some other time. How you work on that. Alright. But before that, two things we have jumped, uh, jumped over. One is Tattvi Bhuta. Be that Tattvam. Be that reality. Very simple. How do you be that reality? All those techniques which we have learned. Uh, whether it is Avastatra, Vichara, the inquiry into the three states, or Drigdrishya Viveka, inquiry into seer and seen, or Panchakosha Viveka, inquiry into the five states, the five sheets of the human personality. Whatever, you realize I am that consciousness. You realize I am the existence in which the universe appears. The inner secret here is that Tvibhuta means get rid of the error that I am not the Tattvam. That I am not Turiya, I am body and mind, get rid of the error. This is your entire job. Here is the answer to your first question. I remember it. Is it possible for the mind, human mind, to actually grasp this truth? No. But what is it possible for the mind to do? And what are we all trying to do here? He says, when he says, Tattvi Bhuta, being that truth. How do you be that truth? The answer is, you cannot be the truth. You are that already. Just get rid of the error that you are not that truth. That's what the mind can do. The mind has ignorance, ajnana, and the mind can generate knowledge which will remove that ignorance. But mind does not grasp that reality. It's beyond that. Re you the reality or beyond the mind. Uh, 
but the mind can generate a smoke screen to make it seem as if you are not that reality. That is removed by Vedanta. Only the ignorance, the error that I am not Brahman, I am not Turiyam, I am body-mind, this error is removed. That is, that is all that is necessary, Tattvi Bhuta, being the truth. All that is necessary to be the truth is to realize that no, I am not the truth is an error. Then, Tadarama, very important. Find your bliss in this. Find completion, peace, joy, bliss, ananda in this. Tadarama means complete rest. Ramate means enjoys. See, what our real problem is, we feel incomplete. And we keep rushing out outwards. All our drives are because of that. In fact, Freud, the way he defines libido, we think it's to do with the sexual impulse. But I saw an amazing Vedantic definition of libido given by Freud himself. He didn't know what he was writing. He says, any movement of, this, any movement of the subject to the object is libido. I was thunderstruck. It's Vedantic language. Any movement of the subject to the object. I desire to read a book. He says, this is nothing other than the same thing as the sexual impulse is this thing itself. Any movement outside myself that this will complete me. This will fulfill me. This is what I want in life. Without this, I am unhappy. Without this, I am incomplete. This is at the root of the error. This is at the root of samsara. He says just the opposite here. Tadarama. Complete peace, satisfaction, ananda, joy in that absolute. Don't think, another important point, don't think of ananda, bliss, as something you enjoy. Like I'm eating a cookie or watching a movie, there's a distinct, specific feeling of enjoyment. So is Atman like that? No. It's not a specific feeling of enjoyment. Not even a very elevated kind of spiritual enjoyment. In bhakti, you have specific, elevated, sublime spiritual enjoyment. This is not even like that. What is this? This is, as somebody put it, Purnatvam. A completeness. Once you sense this, nothing more, you don't feel any need for anything else. It's a completeness. There's nothing else outside it. You don't feel the need of any more specific experiences. You may watch all the movies, but you are not really upset that you did not get certain things which were shown in that particular movie. Because you know those things are not there at all. You may watch it, you will neither be really scared nor really tempted by anything you see in a movie. You may enjoy it, because it's not there, right there. Uh, so in the same way, once you realize that, you get your complete peace in there, Purnatvam. That, that verse is there, mantra, Purnamada, Purnavidam, Purnatvam. So they remember this, this Ananda which is meant, mentioned in the Upanishads is Purnatvam, is a completion, a final completion. Beyond this, nothing else you need, you need to seek. You may have continued, the spiritual seekers continue to have wonderful spiritual experiences also after that. That is there. But they are already, they are not seeking anything for completion anymore. Everything else that comes is a bonus. Yeah. So, Tadarama. Otherwise, uh, just a point here. The problem with worldly satisfaction, worldly engagement, there are many, many ways of putting this problem. So, one way of putting it is this. There are four kinds of problems of trying to get enjoyment from the world. 
the form is vishaya indriya sanyoga connection between object and sense uh, and, and the sense organ eyes with form ears with sound tongue with taste nose with smell skin with touch this will give me happiness the problem there is fourfold problem one problem the vishayas are continuously changing they are subject to change and deterioration so um, uh, you things degrade the most beautiful scenery the most beautiful garden most beautiful person all degrades slowly it changes and it does not give you the same happiness which it used to give you earlier the second problem is the weakness of our own organs of experience indriya the eyes ear smell um, touch taste mind how soon our organs fail us how many movies can you see how many cookies can you eat the first fundamental teaching in our economics class was the law of diminishing marginal utility the first cookie gives me so much enjoyment the sec- second one gives me less third one less and fourth one you feel don't you say no more fifth one you just is repulsive this because of the weakness we have infinite desire for en- en- uh, enjoyment and completely very very limited capacity for, to enjoy Somerset mom put it if you pursue pleasure single mindedly very soon you will find nothing pleasing anymore <laughs> yeah Somerset Somerset mom this is because of the weakness of our sensory system this is a very limited capacity so that will not give a happiness second problem third problem is that we ourselves are changing what you enjoyed as a kindergarten kid that same lollipop it has no taste for you right now what you enjoy now the books or the music that your teenage son or daughter does not enjoy we change so those things cannot give us happiness anymore because we are changing ourselves continuously the enjoyer is changing the enjoyed object is changing hence the possibility of sustained enjoyment is not there and the last problem is fourth one is the contact between enjoyer and enjoying enjoyed is also changing very difficult to bring them together of all the 7 billion people in this world today vast majority are struggling to get a decent living vast majority are struggling there are very few who are well off enough young healthy rich uh, uh, educated enough to really enjoy life and their enjoyment is also limited the contact between the objects of enjoyment and the enjoyer to bring it about itself that itself is rare and when you once you bring it to maintain that contact also is difficult it's also unstable it falls apart again husband wife they get divorced children grow up and go away father mother die everything slowly the the contacts are broken all the time so because of these four problems you cannot get in. this is one way of putting the problem of the world that the, the objects of enjoyment are changing the uh, capacity to enjoy is limited the enjoyer himself or herself is also changing our body mind and the contact between enjoyer and enjoyer bhokta bhogya i'm translating all this from uh, sanskrit that contact is also unstable 
very difficult to bring about. It takes a lot of good karma to be healthy, wise, rich in this life. Actually, it's good karma if things are going well for you. It takes a lot of good karma. For very few people, it's going well. And if it's going well also, it won't for long. <laughs> it won't. That was the insight of the Buddha. That the world is subject to change. Because the world is subject to change, Dukkha is a source of... Um, Dukkha is inevitable. Let me sum up then the verse. Very beautiful verse. I think we can chant it together. Tattvam adhyatmikam drishtva Tattvam adhyatmikam drishtva Tattvam drishtva tu bahyata Tattvam drishtva tu bahyata Tattvi bhuta stada ramaha Tattvi bhuta stada ramaha Tattva da prachyuto bhavet Tattva da prachyuto bhavet Very good. Seeing the reality within yourself Seeing it outside, being that reality, completely satisfied and in peace and in joy in that reality, never slipping away from that reality. This is what we are, this is the goal, this is the result of all of this. In Sanskrit, phalam, result of, uh, of Advaita. This is how one should become. This is Jivan Mukta, the enlightened while living. Were there any one or two more questions? Yes, I'll come. I'll come to you. Yeah, let's hear the questions quickly. Uh, Swamiji, I have a question about meditation. Yes. Um, during the process of meditating, you're supposed to observe the thoughts and try and be the witness consciousness. But I find that I get carried away by it, and then I have to pull myself back. Um, so, um, two things. One is. There are many things to be said. It's not directly related to this. But uh, one is, the moment you become aware that I have become carried away, very gently come back to the object of meditation. The moment you become aware that, oh, I have... Because sometimes when we are getting carried away, we are not aware of that. A couple of seconds later, we realize, oh, I was supposed to repeat the mantra or something. And so, that's one thing. Instead of bewailing, oh, I failed. There's no failing. If you sit down and practice meditation, you have succeeded. Now, the second thing is, have a support. It could be a mantra, a deity, something. Just sitting and witnessing the thoughts, you're bound to get carried away. The thoughts are so tempting, they're continuously... It's like standing on a, on a bridge and watching things float by. But the, the things which are floating by are not sending out hooks to you to pull you down towards them. But here, thoughts which are floating by on the stream of the mind, they're sending hooks to you to pull you along with themselves. Is there, the power of the there is power there, yes. There is power there. It will. It will. Over time it diminishes. Yeah, um, going through this uh, Mandukya Karika hmm. and today's lectures, one has to ponder what is this Karma Yoga and is Karma really there? If this is all... Yes, its answer is it's not really there. It's only Brahman. But the answer is this: Brahma Arpanam Brahmahavi Brahma Agno Brahmanahutam Brahmevatenagantavyam Brahma Karma Samadhina. You cannot avoid karma as long as you are. See, even coming here and listening to the talk, it takes a lot of effort. It's karma. Now, how do you relate it to Advaita? You see that all of this is Brahman. 
That's a huge subject in itself. Yes. But Karma Yoga by itself is a strong preparation. In classical Advaita, Shankara says Karma Yoga is a foundational preparation. It prepares the mind. Otherwise, the mind which is disturbed by a lot of worldliness, it cannot focus on this. It will become restless. Two things, either restlessness or it will fall asleep. You'll see it neatly divides into three, three groups. Majority, I'm glad to say majority here uh, are always attentive and listening and seriously interested. One or two special cases either fall asleep or restless. So it's because of the mind. And that mind has to be purified through Karma Yoga. That's classical Karma Yoga. Shankaracharya says that. There's a more advanced kind of thing where you see Brahman in every action. Brahmarpanam Brahmavi. At the beginning of this class, you mentioned the four qualifications for practicing this path. Yeah. Do any of us here have these qualifications? <laughs> you are you, really... Oh, I don't. on the parade. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah you, already, you already signed up. <laughs> no, the thing is, we all... The answer to that is, do we have the qualifications for Advaita Vedanta? The answer is yes and no. The answer is, yes, we do, because you are here. Right. On a Wednesday afternoon in Manhattan, <laughs> you're coming and listening to a 5,000-year-old philosophy, or at least 1,400-year-old philosophy, uh, about a very unworldly kind of philosophy. Why would you do that, unless you had a great, at least a great spiritual curiosity? So that's there. There's a pull. We all have it. As Raman Maharshi said, somebody asked this question to him, do I have the qualifications? And he said, did you say I? <laughs> because... His method is, who am I? If you say I, you have to, you're qualified. Because if you can use the word I, the vertical I, and all of us use it. If you, the moment you use that I, you're qualified to practice who am I. Okay, that's the answer. But the um, serious, there's another side to this. Just like when you are driving, you need to keep your eyes on the gas and the speed and the mirrors and all of that. Uh, in the same way, when in spiritual life, when you're driving along this road, spiritual journey, you have to keep your eyes on these four. Viveka, Vairagya, the six-fold disciplines and the desire to be free. The thing is, we will inevitably run into problems and you will see the problems can all be traced back to a problem in one of these four. If these are strong, I don't even say perfect, if these are strong, nothing can stop you in spiritual life. Vivekananda put it very simply, I know where the shoe pinches, he said. Why do we have to do karma yoga? Why do I have to build my character? Why do I have to be unselfish and strong? And he says, because I know where the shoe pinches. It's not in high philosophy. That's not the problem at all. The problem is way down at our level. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll come to you, the gentleman there. Um, last week, uh, at the end, uh, towards the end, you started to discuss life of a monk. Yeah. And you end up householder. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in the householder's life, the importance of karma yoga is very special. That how to translate the activities, transform the activities in the life of the householder into spiritual practice. Is it possible to practice non-duality in, uh, in the life of the householder? Certainly. There are so many examples throughout history who were non-dualists. And yet, there are stories in Mahabharata of, of a housewife, of a, of a butcher, of a, um, and so many people of a king or a warrior, uh, of a queen. Uh, they were enlightened people. They're fully uh, with non-dual awareness, with uh, enlightened in the path of non-duality. 
So it's possible. But Karma Yoga, that's a very important thing. Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga is what I would recommend very strongly. Let's see how at every moment we can actually practice uh, this non-duality. It's possible. Yeah. You see, from the point of view of Brahman, the non-dual reality, monk, householder makes no difference at all. It's, it's a vanishingly small thing, the difference. It's like flying in the sky in the plane, in the highest building and the smallest hut. The difference is very minute from that high up. It makes no difference, really. But <coughs> internally monk-like, that one has to be. Internally, I cannot be rushing out trying to grab the world with both hands and say, I want to practice non-duality. No. <coughs> yeah, last uh, class, you also said, uh, the life of the monk, that you would give us in this class the practical applications of, if you can become a monk, what do you do? Ah, yes, the same question almost. Yes, but uh, basically, yes, I understand. Um, but there is no time now. That is a, but an important question. We should talk about it sometime. Um, three things keep in mind. Very practical suggestions. Remember, this high spiritual goal is there before us that I want to become enlightened. How do we? How do? You, how can you be monk-like inside, even when you are in the world outside? So, one is possessions, stuff. I'm talking about absolutely brass tacks, basic things in life. Minimize. Minimize the clutter in your life. Remember the monk's life. He says, Yati yadrichiko bhavet. Let the monk be uh, completely dependent on what comes. So, you don't have to be with only a water pot and a loincloth and, uh, and the staff of a monk. No. But minimize. Fewer and fewer positions. Not m more than... The principle always for us, for monks, you can see, always have a little less than what you need. What you need, reduce from there. We always tend to have much more than what we need. Always. If you reduce it to what you need, you'll see how little you need. And then from there, reduce it just a little more. Don't reduce it too much because then it'll, you'll be in, uh, in, in, you know, in, in want. And then it, you have to struggle with the world outside. Then second... Involvement with people and activities. So obligations, duties and dealings with the world. So these you have to reduce. Uh -huh. Obligations, duties, dealings with the world. That means people, parties, engagements, committees. You have to reduce, yeah. not increase. Swami Vivekananda gave a nice principle. Difficult to follow. Listen to the principle. Neither seek nor avoid. Neither seek nor avoid. What about charity towards people? Yes, but be careful. I'm on the board of half a dozen charities. I have no time for Vedanta class. No, <laughs> then you are, you are in trouble. No, 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 not about charities, but... <laughs> Certainly, charitable acts also. But the principle, remember the principle. Is the charitable act the goal of your life or is enlightenment the goal of your life? The charitable act, is, is it helpful? Yes, very much so. Very much. Always be charitable. It is the liberal self, the, the universal self, the giving self, which is fit for non-duality. The selfish self is not fit for non-duality. So charitable, very good. All right. You had a question? Let's see. Oh, the, the, oh, the, the third, third one. So, so the positions and stuff, so minimize stuff, uh, dealings with the, with the world. 
and also uh, one thing is the uh, you know the relationships responsibilities these are the sources of your activities i'll tell you one thing about the monk's life which to uh, you see how far you can apply it's difficult samsara life means you have specific relationships husband wife father mother secretary boss things like that a monk has only one relationship with the entire world it's brahman only or my lord only nobody is special high or low to the monk practically one the monk may have a special relationship with his or his or her guru that's a but that's also a spiritual relationship otherwise it's just the same with everybody everybody in the world is same to the monk that is very helpful in non duality otherwise from specific relationships comes uh, responsibilities duties towards others so it generates samsara at least internally try to be the same to everybody high and low rich and poor learned and ignorant your own relatives and those who are strangers be the same to everybody as far as possible yeah <coughs> last question we'll end with that we have a Right. I'm uh, glad you said that. I also don't see the difference too much, <laughs> but there is, but there is difference. There is. Um, so to appreciate Sri Ramakrishna's Vigyana Vedanta, you must, at the minimum, appreciate the second step of Advaita. Notice when Ayan Maharaj distinguishes Vigyana Vedanta from Advaita Vedanta. Every time he does that, he generally does it with the first step of Advaita Vedanta. This is real. Everything is false. I'm not the body, not the mind. That that neti neti phase that is easily distinguished from the Vigyana Vedanta. I was reading closely Ayan Maharaj's work. In one place, he says, Sri Ramakrishna actually interprets his Vigyana Vedanta as um, you can as another form of Advaita Vedanta, as a as a more Uh, liberal form of advaita vedanta exactly that's true having said that to be honest there's also quite a bit more in sri ramakrishna where um, the even after the second step the advaitin wouldn't go so that's there doesn't matter it's perfectly all right it's a work in progress but i was reading it just today itself i was reading it. it's a really sophisticated work very fine work uh, i mean i'm just still only in the first chapter but Very good. Let's bring it to a conclusion here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamastu.